Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Hey, today we're, we're going to start a new series of messages that we're calling If Only. And we're going to talk about what it's like to live a life without regrets. Have you ever eaten anything and then regretted it later? Anybody? You ever had words come out of your mouth? And as soon as they did, you said, if only I had not said that. The reality is, I think for all of us, there's times and places where we do things where we have regrets. I'm sure I'm not the only one. There's times when we say, ah, I wish I'd done that. Or we say, why did I do that? <laughs> if only I had met that person sooner. If only I had never met that person. If only I could turn back time. If only I could accomplish that goal. If only I could take those words back. Or if only I could say those words one more time. If only. How, how do you live a life without regret? As, as we go into Acts chapter 20, we're, we're going to get a, a really interesting look at the life of the Apostle Paul. In fact, in the book of Acts, he's probably no more vulnerable with us than he is in Acts chapter 20. And we're going to look at this over the course of the next few weeks. And we're going to throw some principles out that I just, I really feel passionately that these next few weeks are going to be really important for us and for many of us as we talk about how to live a life without regret. Today's story, though, is kind of setting the groundwork for that. I think Luke put this story in the book of Acts to kind of set the stage for what's going to happen next. This is a really interesting story. It's, it's a quick story. What happens in the book of Acts from here on out is that Luke begins, and Luke's the author of the book of Acts, he begins with what's almost like a, an ancient travel narrative where he talks from here on out about Paul's trips. He mentions a lot of places. He mentions a lot of people. He's explaining a lot of stuff. And in the process of this, a whole lot happens really quickly. You know, we've been in the book of Acts since, what, 1951, 52, something like that. It's been a little while. We're, we're going to be moving a whole lot quicker now as we move through this. And from time to time, Luke tells a story. I think he tells this story very purposefully. It's kind of a fascinating story. It's a bit of a quirky one. The reality is you could read it and think, oh, it's just kind of trivial or a novelty. It's an easy one to overlook. But I think Luke has it there very specifically for a purpose. He wants us to see something important about the life of Paul. And I think he wants us to see something important about the life of the church and about the life of each one of us. Paul's in a city called Troas. It's going to set the stage for what happens ahead. Here's what we're going to do. I want to, I want to read through the story and, and kind of talk about what's happening there. And then I want to go back and make some observations about things we can learn from this. I really think that this sermon could be... Take it back. I know this sermon could be relevant for some of you because here's the title. The sermon is titled, Sleeping in Church. <laughs> Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week... We came together to break bread. Luke's writing this, right? He's with Paul. He knows. This is kind of a bit of a, a travel journal that he's writing. He was there. We came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Now, that's my kind of church service, <laughs> a long-winded preacher. It says that they broke bread. That means that they shared a fellowship meal together, probably communion, a lot like what we just did here and this passage talks about the importance of coming to church, and it says that Paul talked for a long time. Long-winded speakers were not at all uncommon in the ancient world. 
Cicero, the, the famous orator of that time, complained when he was restricted in a speech to just a two-hour window. There was a guy named Pliny who boasted of his seven-hour speech. Another guy whose name was Albucius, who was known to speak for many hours, sometimes as many as nine hours at a time. Now that's some public speaking, isn't it? You, you don't have it that bad. Let me just tell you right now. You don't have it all that bad. Look, we, we can be quick to be critical of Paul because he talks so much in this story. In fact, it becomes relevant to this story why he talks so much and how the effect of him talking so much when the truth is, it's not that Paul was just up there rambling or just kind of spouting theology. That word for talking, that he talked until midnight, has the idea of dialogue. So Paul wasn't just up there kind of just talking off the top of his head and he couldn't shut up. He would teach something and they would ask him questions and they were talking back and forth and he was, he was explaining things to them. You'll, you'll understand why this was so important as we go through this story. But it, was, it wasn't just one-sided. This was, this was passionate. This was important. He was instructing them and he was helping them late into the night. Verse 8 of Acts chapter 20. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. I love how Luke paints a picture here. He says, we're, we're up in this room, and you can see the contrast between the dark of night and the many lamps that were there. And by saying many lamps, it means it wasn't just a few people. There were a lot of people. It's not that the owner of this home had that many lamps. It's that everybody brought one with them. That, that was how they would see. And so you've got this, this room filled with people, filled with lamps. Verse 9, seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Let that be a lesson to some of you. Here's the funny part about Eutychus. Eutychus's name means fortunate or good luck. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of ironic. It's, it's not a unique name. Actually, if you go back and look at, at Roman inscriptions of Greek names, Eutychus was the ninth most common name of that day and time. That has no biblical significance. It's, I just thought it was interesting. He was, he was a young man, Scripture tells us. So we, we can guess, based on that title, that he was one of two things. He was either a guy who was probably between the ages of 7 and 14, or it's possible that he might have been a slave because sometimes they would use that terminology. But either way, he's nobody prominent. He's not a big deal. He's just a guy who showed up in church. Depending on the fall and the construction and how you read that third story and think of what kind of building it might have been, he fell anywhere from about 12 to 24 feet. Most likely, he landed on his head and broke his neck. The building at that time would have been kind of in the city of Troas. Most likely there was a shop or something on the bottom floor. And then maybe the next floor or two would have been residences, almost more like an apartment than a house. And he fell out of this window and he died. Verse 10, Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. This is clearly a miracle. What happens here? Eutychus is dead. Because of Paul's actions, God brings him back to life. This is not unique to the Apostle Paul. If you remember back in Acts chapter 9, the same thing happens with Peter and a woman named Tabitha. If you go back to the Old Testament, both Elijah 
and Elisha have stories that are very similar. So when Luke tells this story, he's very clearly showing you how powerfully God worked through the life of the Apostle Paul. I'm sure he told this story because he wanted people to know what God did. I'm sure he told this story because people probably talked about it out in in the community that that he needed to, to make record of this. But the miracle is here that Eutychus was dead and God resurrects him back to life. Verse 11, then Paul went upstairs again, broke bread and ate, And after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. All right, everybody, he's all right. Back to church, he says. (laughs) Right, and they marched back up there. And I'm reading this and I'm going, come on, Paul, you're literally killing him here, right? (laughs) Well, why why he talk so long? Then you, you can start to be a little critical of Paul. Like, dude, do you not have a watch? Do you not have common sense? Here's what's going on here, though. You don't feel like he had to coax the people to go back up there. They wanted this. They were spending time with Paul. You'll understand why here in just a moment as we look at this. It's because Paul's leaving in the morning. And this was their only chance to hear from the most important teacher of their time. In fact, Paul will never see these people again. And they're relieved at Eutychus being alive and they spend this time together and then that's it, end of story. That's all we got. We don't know anything else that happens that night or that happens there. Fascinating little story that would be easy for us to just kind of look past and dismiss. Now, it's not a parable, and and I don't want to turn it into an allegory. I don't want to make it say more than it does here. But there's something powerful. I think about Luke's placement. There's something that he wants to stir up inside of us by telling us this story, not just historically, but I think spiritually, I think personally, there's something he wants us to realize. He's painting a picture, and you'll really see this as we get to the rest of Acts chapter 20, and we dig into this this idea of how do you live a life without regret. This sets the stage for us. Here's what I want to show you today. Four observations from sleeping in church. I think there's some lessons that we can learn out of this passage Four observations about sleeping in church. Here's the first one, number one, that life brings seasons of urgency. There are times in our lives where there's an urgency that comes, that there is a pressure, there there is a a sense of, of the specialness of that time. Acts chapter 20, verse seven, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. You, you got to understand what's going on here. Paul realizes he has a very special window, if you will. He has a very special moment. And that there is a time here, because he's got to leave the next day, that this is the only time that he has to download with these people. You'll, you'll understand when we get to the rest of Acts 20, he's got a timeline he's working. He wants to get to Jerusalem by a certain time. And to do that, he has to stay on track So he only has so much time with these people in Troas, but he realizes that this young church needs wisdom from him. They need help from him. There's probably things that he needs to encourage or maybe even correct in the church. And Paul says, this is my only chance. He needs to speak to them because he also knows that he will never see them again. The the, the Holy Spirit has been revealing things to him, and he knows that he has to make the most of this because, catch this, he will never have this opportunity Again, opportunity, I think, is the key word here. You ever heard him say that the opportunity of a lifetime is only good for the lifetime of the opportunity? There are times where you only have that moment to capture and capitalize on the things that are in front of you. And opportunity brings urgency. 
when you recognize that opportunity, it brings this sense of urgency. And you have to make the most out of it. I, I saw the most fascinating video this week that, that made me laugh and filled me with joy. Maybe you saw it. A lady had taken it out of her car window as she was driving down the road. You can see, it was in Minnesota. You can see all the snow-covered fields that are out there. And as she's driving, all of a sudden, you see a man dressed in Amish garb skiing behind a horse and buggy. It's fantastic. Like this guy, he's off to the side of the road in the snow. He's jumping over these mounds. The horse and buggy's just trotting down the road. And it just, I just laughed when I saw it because I thought, what genius is that? Like this guy knew I've got this moment. I've got this opportunity. Everett, pull over the wagon. I'm hooking up the skis. Right? Because we are going to make the most of this opportunity before it's gone. Look, opportunity has a shelf life. You have to seize it before it expires. Whether it's Black Friday sales or the last two minutes of a close football game, when you have that opportunity, you have to grab it. Now look, that's true of the season that you're in right now, whether you realize it or not. Your season as a parent, your season in the workplace, in your school, in your priorities, in your choices. There are things in front of you that are timeless, that you can choose them anytime. There's other things that are timely. They're only going to come once. There's opportunities there in front of you. And Paul shows us some things about urgency. One is this, that urgency has purpose. That there's a purpose that drives it. Urgency has purpose. What was Paul's purpose? I got to teach these folks. I got to download with these folks. I got to help them to grow in their faith. He knew that he would never see them again, and he wanted to live a life without regret. We're really going to look at this idea of purpose in the next few weeks. But understand this. Paul knew what his purpose was. Do you? Like, do you know what, what in your role or in this season needs to be a priority to you, what, what perspective you should have, or has, has, has it come to you that your priorities are fuzzy or maybe not quite clear? See, Paul knew what his purpose was. I've, I've got to ask you, who, whose life is impacted by yours? And what are the things that only you can accomplish? What's the opportunity that if you do not take it, you're going to regret it? Or what's the choice that if you make that choice, it's actually going to steer you off course from your purpose and your priorities? See, urgency has purpose and urgency has timing. There's, there's a certain sense of timing that comes with this urgency. And this is important to see. What did Paul say? I know I'm leaving tomorrow, so I'm going to talk all night long. <laughs> he knew there was an urgency to that timing, and he was trying to express that to them. He had to capture that moment that was in front because there's a time when that might change. He, he wrote it in this way to the people in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. He, he says you have to redeem the time. You make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Look, every day is precious. And, and urgency comes not only with a sense of purpose, but a sense of timing. To those of you that are students, I know there's moments that, that it comes with pressure and responsibility, and it comes with an awful lot of drudgery and maybe even a lot of things that you just don't want to do. But recognize that there's an urgency in this timing for you to prepare and to listen, to be ready for the things that, that God has in store for you. 
Some of you, the season that you're in right now that comes with a sense of urgency is your young parents. And there's, there's an urgency that comes because only you can make the impact in the life of your kids in this season. Look, I, I know, I feel like I get older every day. Anybody? <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I become older every day, but here's the reality. The days are long, but the years are short. And you have to seize these moments that are right there in front of you. Some of you would say that you're, you're in a season of your life where you feel like you're at peak performance, like, like you're doing your very best work. You're, you have your very best relationships. Things, things have never been better, and, and, they're, and they're only moving forward. Be careful that in this time that you don't begin to make priorities things that won't be there later, but that you make the priority the things that are going to last, your relationship with God, your relationship with your family. See, see urgency comes with timing, and some of you are in that midlife or maybe you feel like you've kind of got it figured out. Maybe you're even on a little bit of an autopilot. Maybe you're even on the edge of a crisis. And you look at this, and it's important for you to recognize that there's an urgency to your life. So don't, so don't, don't check out. Don't just mail it in. Some, some of you may be even in that empty nest season. It seems like it's easy for you to, to disengage. Don't miss opportunities to invest with those that need your influence need your impact, need your presence. Some of you are in those senior years. And maybe it's easy for you to think that, well, I, I did my time. I, I did my part. I, I can just sit back and relax. When actually there's a sense of urgency to where you are right now because there's something that God wants to do in your life and through you. Urgency comes with this sense of timing. The psalmist says, Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Urgency has a purpose, and urgency has timing, and urgency has responsibility. Look, Paul knew I'm the one who has to do this. Nobody else can do this. I'm the one who has to own this moment. I have to do what only I can do. And you might go, well, look, God's not called me to be an apostle. No, but he's called you to be a witness, and he's called you to represent him. He's called you to be his ambassador. Luke chapter 12, verse 48, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Look, if, if you didn't know it, this is a season of urgency. Maybe that's why I'm excited about this series, because I, I just, man, I sense that. This is a season of urgency for our church I don't mean to put false timelines or deadlines out there, but it just in my spirit, I feel like the weeks between now and Easter, there's, there's some things that God wants to do, not just in the life of the church, but in our hearts to do something special, to do something unique, that God has something special in store. There are too many lost people in Toledo, and they need to hear about Jesus Christ, and he wants you to introduce them to him. Look, this is a season of urgency for your life. Who needs you? Who needs you to make something right while you can? What opportunity is there that you need to take? What priorities do you need to realign? What's the urgency in your life? I'm just telling you, for some of you, it's time to pull the horse and buggy over and hitch up the skis. <laughs> Live a little. Take a risk. Trust God and say, Lord, help me to respond to this urgency. And then don't miss this second thing. The, the first one is that there are seasons of urgency. Number two the enemy of urgency is complacency. Number two, the enemy of urgency is complacency. Acts chapter 20, verse 9. Go back, to, go back to Eutychus. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking 
into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Look, I, I don't want to make Eutychus out to be a bad guy because you ready for a true confession? I've fallen asleep in church. Anybody else? A lot of you are lying. <laughs> a lot of you are lying. You, you know that moment, right? It's been a busy week. You settle into that padded theater seat. <laughs> Might be the first time you've slowed down all week. And all of a sudden, it's kind of slow, gets a little warm, that guy's voice goes on and on, you start doing the bob, you know what I'm talking about, right? Tell me you've not done this, I know you have, your eyes get a little heavy and you think to yourself, Lord, could he just pray so I can close my eyes? I know you've thought that, honestly, you've thought that, don't tell me you haven't, the truth is, there was a couple of years ago, we, we had a guest. We had somebody else was preaching on a Sunday morning. And I was sitting over there in my assigned seat over there, and, and I was fine during the first service. It was great. But I, don't, I, don't, I don't sit a whole lot. Like, I don't just, just kind of stop. So I slowed down, sat in that chair. Second service was hard. Third service, he didn't change it up much, and I started doing the bob, right? I'm just, I'm dying over there. But great message. I mean, it was good, but it's the third time I've heard it, and I'd already made all the notes of how it could be better. So, I mean, it's just doing that, you know, the whole time. And, and I'm sitting over there. After the service, the guy that spoke walked up to me, and he goes, kind of had a hard time over there, huh? <laughs> That's humbling when the preacher says it to the preacher. Look, when we have a sense of urgency in front of us, complacency is the thing that puts us to sleep. Now, look, I don't, I don't want to be critical, but look at it. Think about it, because the same things that probably cause Eutychus to drift off are the same things that cause us to drift away. Exhaustion causes complacency. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we're just tired. Sometimes life's hard. Sometimes we're not getting enough sleep. Look, look the reality is Eutychus was most likely either a kid Seven, between the ages of 7 and 14, or, or he might have been a slave that by the time he got to that evening service, he'd already put in a full day's work. It's not that he didn't love Jesus. He's just tired. And he found himself in that place. Look, exhaustion causes complacency. You and I can get moving in life, sometimes even doing good things, and we find ourselves in a place that we get so tired that we lose our sense of urgency. Anybody? This is why Paul writes Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Complacency oftentimes comes from exhaustion. Here, here's another place. Sometimes comfort causes complacency. Look, let's just be honest, and I'll tell you why in just a few minutes, but I think that window was the best seat in the house. Eutychus had the prime spot, if you ask me. He got kind of nestled in there, and his comfort caused him complacency. There's nothing wrong with being comfortable, right? I, I, I think God, often, many times he'll, he'll bless us with things that comfort us or bring comfort to us. The problem is when you're so comfortable that you lose your sense of urgency, that's when something needs to change. Familiarity will also cause complacency. Sometimes it's, it's familiarity that does that. If, if you just think about this, and, and I'll just be really honest, I was reading this, I got a little ticked off as a preacher myself with the way that Luke described Paul. He talked on and on and on. I was a little offended by that. He's just doing his job, old Paul. But imagine for Eutychus, 
sitting in that room late at night, lamps flickering, Paul talking and talking and talking. He started to kind of fade out because he got too familiar with what was happening around him. The the author C.S. Lewis wrote about how a friend of his said that he was thinking about going into the ministry. And Lewis warned him, he, he wanted him to know that the constant familiarity with holy matters could dull him to the significance. He, he wrote this, none are so unholy as those whose hands are cauterized with holy things. The reality is our, our hearts can become calloused. We can become so familiar with the things of God that we miss out on what God is really trying to do. I thought about this. I've I've probably been in 4,000 church services or more in my life. It can be real easy for things to get very familiar. And it's not that we're lost people. It's just that we're bored people. And we get bored with what we're familiar with. And we lose that sense of urgency. The reality is ultimately it's sin that causes complacency. We let other things come in and take first place. We, we choose things. We, we desire things. And the reality is it puts us in a place where that complacency sets in. Now think about this for just a moment. There are seasons of urgency that come in our lives. And if you and I think about it long enough, you'll find that urgent place, that urgent relationship, that urgent thing. And complacency is the enemy of urgency. So here's what that means. Number three, complacency in times of urgency leads to tragedy. For some of you, that's, that's worth writing down or maybe even underlining because that's, that's a season that you need to maybe be called out on. That complacency in times of urgency leads to tragedy. Acts chapter 20, verse 9, seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Look, I think about sitting in a window, and I think about it in our, in our modern construction, and it doesn't sound appealing to me. But if you think about that, that room that they were in, they're up in this kind of upstairs apartment. It didn't have walls like our homes have. It had a large block wall. So this is a pretty wide wall that he could sit in. And so he could get up in that, in that window, and you've got all these people that are there in that room. They're kind of crammed in there. Eutychus, he's over in the window. He can actually lean back against the wall in the window, right? He's got the night air. He's got the evening sounds. He's got the cool breeze. That's the best seat in the house. Some of you could drift off just thinking about it, right? (laughs) He had the best spot in the whole place. And in that moment, he found himself in a place of real trouble. I mean, let's talk about this from a spiritual perspective for you and I. If you let complacency come in and you lose that sense of urgency, what happens? What are the ramifications? Well, when you, let's say it this way, when you sleep in your window, in that place where God has put you, in that moment, when you sleep in your window, you miss what is important. When you fall asleep in that place, when you lose that urgency, when you give way to complacency, when you sleep in your window, you miss what's important. Eutychus fell asleep And there was teaching, there were words that were coming his way from the Apostle Paul that literally he could never hear those things again. 
And he missed out on something rich because he fell asleep in that place. When you and I lose our urgency and we trade it in for complacency, we miss time with our family. We miss opportunities to share our faith. We miss the leading of the Holy Spirit. We miss a chance to make a difference in somebody's lives. We miss it in those moments. See, Eutychus missed that, that key moment, that key window. And there was, there was nobody posting it on YouTube. There was nobody sharing it on Facebook. He couldn't go back and get it again. And the reality is you and I have these moments in our lives that we'll miss them. Now, see, I was, I was concerned about talking about this. I'm a little bit concerned about talking about regrets because sometimes when we talk about regret, we, we find people in a place who immediately go, well, it's too late for me, or I've already missed it, or I've already failed. Look, I'm not asking you to work harder. I'm just asking you to wake up. The, the, beauty, the beauty about dealing with regrets is that if you want to deal with those regrets, then start something different today. For many of us, when, when we think about things, especially in our spiritual lives, we think, well, I've just got to work harder I don't think it's that God's calling you just to work harder. I think he's calling you to say, would you wake up and recognize the urgency of the moment that you're in? Because when you sleep in your window, you put yourself in jeopardy. You not only miss what's important, but when you sleep in your window, you put yourself in jeopardy. There was Eutychus, and what seemed to be the best seat in the house became a death trap. And in that moment, he realized just how close to the edge he actually was. And it was tragic how it ended. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. When you sleep in your window, you put yourself in jeopardy. And third thing, when you sleep in your window, you hinder others. You, you think about the chaos of that moment. Eutychus falls out the window. Can't you imagine? I'm sure he went, ah, which in Greek means, ah right? Like, you know that uh, the whole room, all of a sudden, Paul's distracted, throws off what Paul's trying to teach. People run to the window. They're freaking out. There had to be panic. There had to be all these emotions. It was this terrible distraction. Everybody was affected by what happened in that moment when Eutychus fell out that window. When you fall asleep in your window, there are consequences. Now, look, I, 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 was, I was careful about this a little bit because because I don't want you to feel bad. Like, I'm, I'm not picking on anybody. I mean, I know some of you, you're, you're sitting there just trying to keep your eyes open this week because you're like, he's not gonna see me fall asleep today, not this week, right? <laughs> like, I, I don't feel bad. I don't, I don't think bad. I don't think you're a bad person when you fall asleep in church. And believe me, I, I know when you do. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think worse of you, but I do keep a log, right? You know, I like... <laughs> Write your name, date down, and then I usually, I usually write next to a description of what kind of sleeper you are. Not really, but I could. Like, like some of you, you're the bobber, right? You fall asleep and you're kind of like, who's this? You're one of these, right there. And then some of you are the elbowed, right? Because you're, you're falling asleep and your spouse or whoever's sitting next to you keeps giving you one of these. There was, a, there was a poor guy a couple of years ago, he was sitting right over here. He had to break a rib, you know, because his, his wife just kept giving him these through the whole church. And I knew the story. I was like, I knew the guy had to work all night, but she didn't wake up, you know, kind of thing going on. Some of you are what I call the wide open, or what uh, in layman's terms we refer to as the dental work. <laughs> Happens every week. I'm not kidding. Just wide open. Some of you, the more spiritual of you, your approach is the prayer approach. You're like, well, maybe he'll just think I'm praying. Some of you even do this, kind of to rest your chin and eliminate drool, right? You're, you're kind of doing this. 
Every now and again, you get the snorer. Those are my favorite. It's, it's kind of fun when that one happens. Blesses the whole church when the snorer begins to just make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I don't think less of people when they fall asleep in church. Here's the, rea- here's the reality. I know for a lot of people, it's work, it's challenges, it's a busy schedule. Sometimes it's medication. I don't think less. Here, understand this. This isn't about sleeping in church. This is about falling asleep at the wheel. This, this is about letting complacency take away your urgency. And some of you are on the edge, and it's pushing you towards tragedy. There's consequences in your life that could come to you or your family or your work or your school or your legacy. Because if you don't, if you don't wake up, there's something bad on the other end of this thing. 1903, in a town called Frank, Alberta, something happened that would change the history of that town. It was nestled at the base of what was called Turtle Mountain, and the the residents wanted to get as close to Turtle Mountain as they could because there under its shadow was their prosperity. That, that mountain was rich with what they would call seams of coal. And so the miners every day would, would, would mine within Turtle Mountain. And the mountain was known to have these significant tremors that would happen from time to time. And it would shake the rocks to the point that oftentimes the coal deposits, the seams of coal that were in that mountain, as the mountain would shake with the tremors, it would actually shake the coal loose, which was very, very significant. The, the native peoples that were around there, what was known as the Blackfoot Nation, they didn't even like to go to the mountain. They didn't like to be around it. They called it the mountain that walks. And these tremors would happen on a regular basis. They were happening so much in 1903 that many of the miners said, when we showed up to work, we didn't have to dig. We just had to shovel the coal that had fallen out of the ceiling at night. And they thought it was great. They thought it was the right thing. But at four o'clock in the morning on April 29th in 1903, four o'clock in the morning, while they were sleeping, A tremor came and broke off an enormous piece of Turtle Mountain, 3,000 feet wide, 500 feet deep. You think about that. That's 10 football fields wide, 500 feet deep, broke off the mountain and came roaring down into that town. 76 known dead. Nobody will ever know for sure how many passed. Only 12 bodies were ever recovered. That devastation happened while they were sleeping because of something that they had become complacent about. Complacency in times of urgency leads to tragedy. So what do you do? Fourth observation. When others see death, God sees life. When others see death, God sees life. I mean, what Paul models for us here in verse 10 is this powerful principle. Go back and look at this. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive. Let's go back to the facts. Eutychus is dead, broken neck, fall from a window dead. And yet Paul in that moment springs into action and where everybody else saw death, what did Paul see? (laughs) Saw life. And and get this, in a world that is dying all around us, when everybody else sees death, do you know what God sees? God sees. (laughs) And do you know what he wants his people to see? He wants us to see life. And he wants to use us to bring that life. 
and to have a sense of urgency to do something with that life. Look, here's the challenge I would have to you. Today is a wake-up call. So wake up to faith. There's, there's a powerful picture here of Paul's faith in this story, that he could go down, and when everybody else said, that kid's dead, Paul said, oh, no, 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 God's going to bring him back to life. It may be time for you to bring your faith to some people around you people who need your faith. There are people in your world who don't have faith to believe and trust in God enough for themselves that God wants to use you to stir up faith in them. Does that make sense? God wants you to to trust him and to look to him and believe that through you, things that appear to be dead can come back to life again. God wants you to wake up to faith, and I believe that he wants you to wake up to action. you You don't just talk about it, but that you do something about it. The the picture there is powerful, that Paul threw himself on the young man, that he put his arms around him. It's something that Paul had learned when he read about Elijah, and he read about Elisha, and he believed that the same God who healed people in the past, the same God who did the impossible in the past, is the same God who can do it today. Paul learned that, that it was time to wake up to faith and wake up to action. Now, here's just a little caveat. I would caution you from throwing yourself on people in 2019. You'll end up a headline, right? but I would throw your life into action. I would say, God, how can I impact other people? How can I bring your life to other people? There is a world that is dying around us, church, and I believe with a sense of urgency that we have the answer. We have life to give to others. Do you believe that? And yet for many, the church is asleep in the window. Look, I'm looking forward to our annual business meeting because once again, We get to celebrate a great year. We saw more people come to Calvary in 2018, and we saw more people, more more importantly, we saw more people come to Christ in 2018. We celebrate that. Like you might not know this, and and we we welcome those of you that are that are joining us online, but every week there's at least 500 people that join us from somewhere in the world online for our services. That's a church in and of itself. And it's amazing, and we're hearing stories of how God is using that. You might not know this, but four times uh, each week, Calvary services are broadcast on three different TV stations here in town, and we we hear these stories about how God is using this. I just met somebody last week, how God used television to not only lead them back to Christ, but lead them to church. There's a powerful thing that God's doing, but can I tell you something? That's not enough. It's not the job of the church to win your lost friends and family. It's your job, and it's my job. And I'm thankful that the church is here to be a place where people can connect and grow and serve. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not the church's job to introduce your friends and family to Christ. With a sense of urgency, I would encourage you. That's your job. For me, this was time for a wake-up call. To say, hey, you, you may need to get out of your window There's a world that looks pretty bleak. In fact, many people would say that we're dying. But where others see death, you know what God sees? That's when he sees life. That's why his word says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. 
The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. This, uh, this message really correlates well with what we talked about last week about spiritual warfare. Because as we consider how God has prepared us to win the battle, it's important for us to consider that we don't let complacency keep us from our urgency because the enemy we talked about last week would like nothing more. Martin Luther was the, the famed reformer of centuries ago. He used to tell a story. We're, we're not quite sure if it was a, a parable that he told or if it was a dream that he had. But he used to tell a story of, about the devil sitting on the throne in hell and having different demons come and, and give him an update and tell him what was going on in, in their evil work. One demon came and, and stood before Satan and, and said, there was this group of Christians who were going through the desert and I, and I released some wild lions on them. And it wasn't long until the sand was covered with their carcasses. And the devil looked at him and the devil said, the lions destroyed their bodies, but their souls were saved. It's their souls that I'm after. Another demon stood in front of him and said there was this ship with a company of Christians sailing through the sea and I, I drove a strong wind in a storm and it, and it drove the ship up on the rocks and all of them were drowned. And Satan said, well, what of that? He said, yes, you, you were able to have their bodies drowned at sea but their souls were saved and it's their souls that I'm after. And then a third demon came forward to give his report and he said, for 10 years I have been trying to get a Christian into a deep sleep and at last, I have succeeded. And with that, all the halls of hell rejoiced because they knew that it was more effective to fill a Christian with complacency than just about any other way to promote their evil. Look, friends, for some of us, it's time for us to get out of our window. For some of us, it's a wake-up call. And I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And it may be that for some of you today, what's, what's, what's in your mind right now is you're realizing that there has been a sense of complacency in your life that has kept you from God. And what you need more than anything is to be right with God through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus died on a cross for our sins, and he paid the price so that you and I could know forgiveness and so that you and I could know his grace. And that's why we refer to him as our Savior, because he, he gives us his forgiveness. And that's why we call him our Lord, because then he can give us direction and purpose in life. And for some of you, what you need to do today more than anything else is to make a decision for Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord. And in just a moment, when we pray in your heart, if that's, if that's a decision you need to make, then you do that. You pray and say, Jesus, I can't do it on my own anymore. I need you to be my Savior, and I need you to be my Lord. For others of us, the, the Spirit has, has, has been elbowing us a little bit in this sermon. He's been nudging us and saying, hey, it, it may be time for you to wake up. It may be time for you to trade in your complacency for that sense of urgency to what I've called you to do. And the Holy Spirit, by His Word today, has, has been working something in your life. It's been a wake-up call. It's time to stop sleeping in that window live your life with purpose that he's created you for.
And so, Father, we thank you for your word. But your word that's, that's alive and it's active and it, and, it, and it gets right to who we are and it speaks to where we're at. Lord, I pray for the one that's in this room or, may, or maybe that's watching this on a screen somewhere that needs to hear the truth from you today. Lord, that as they choose for you to be their savior and forgive their sins and to be their Lord and direct their life, that you would let them know your peace and the, and the grace and the joy of being a new creation in you. And Father, for those of us that, that you've, you've encouraged today that it's time to trade in our complacency for a sense of urgency to do in this moment what you've called us to do, may we look ahead, may we make those changes, may we trust you to be at work in our lives. May we not sleep in our window, but may we be open to what only you can do through us. So now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.